My name is Hayford, and we have Yelona, Aram, and Elon, and we'll be taking the scripture reading today. We've been attending TCC for the past 20 months. Thank you. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and humans' hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. For God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. The word of the Lord. Awesome. Thank you so much for reading that, guys. Well, over the summer, um, well, let me actually step back. My name is Quinn. I am the youth pastor here. It is a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. Uh, throughout the summer, we as a youth group have kind of transitioned and, and have been going through a little bit of a different way of running youth. We usually do that in the summer. And, and this year, uh, we, we really started doing a little bit different even than previous summers. And so what that actually looked like is we continued to meet on Wednesdays and we met two Fridays a month uh, just to kind of hang out and have some fun. And so those Fridays are big fun events. Uh, and the Wednesdays are, we kind of did like a devotional kind of study together. Friday, this last Friday, we did a Bob Ross paint night. Now, how many of you guys know who Bob Ross is? He is a very gifted painter. <laughs> and like the program that we like watched and we like painted alongside him is 29 minutes, like from start to finish. And that's like opening credits to the end credits. And by the time we are like watching this, we're starting to like get our canvas, you know, ready. He's like, go ahead and cover your canvas in white paint. And then from there, you can actually start to like add in some of the color. And by the time everyone was done adding white paint and a little bit of color, he was like done the painting. And we're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. So we had to like rewind it a bunch of times. And my favorite thing, so we had like a big row of tables right here. 
and I was on the end, and beside me was one of my leaders and a couple other students beside me as well. And I, I, as we were, like, going through the night, students would, like, get up and come take a look around, and I would get up and come take a look around. But my favorite thing was when my students would come and take a look over at the last section where me and my leader were sitting and painting. And they would go to uh, Yasmin and would look at her painting and go, wow, that is so good. Like, man alive, like, how did you do this? And, like, ask her for tips. And then they would look at my painting and they'd be like, huh. <laughs> That's something. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. All right, all right. Oh, man, it was so fun. But through the summer, like I said, we were meeting on Wednesdays. And, and we were, we've been going through this book called Taking Theology to Youth Ministry. And, and I really love this book. It's just a short, small book, but it really just dives into what is theology? How do we talk about God? And what is the purpose of youth ministry? And I love doing this book with students because they can capture, like, what is youth ministry all about? Why do we meet on Wednesdays? Why do we as a church get together? And the premise of this book, written by Andrew Root, his main point, his takeaway point, is that it is all about participating in God's action. Participating in God's action. And and I think that's just such a beautiful way to talk about ministry. And really, when we look at that, that's our life. We are called to participate in God's action. And really, that's what this message today is all about. If you haven't been with us for the last little bit, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to be picking up right in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Acts 17. We will be there for the entirety of the message today. And and, and we'll be spending time going back and forth between it. So just go ahead and turn there and you can keep it kind of earmarked for Acts 17. But let me give you a little bit of the context so that you understand where we're at in the story. Paul has been traveling with Barnabas and with Silas, his, his co-workers, his co-laborers for Christ during this mission trip. And, and Barnabas, two chapters earlier, has left in chapter 15. He's left Paul. And Silas, however, remains with Paul. And Timothy comes alongside and ends up joining them for this part until where we pick up today, because Paul actually ends up being by himself. But this group of young men have had quite a few interesting stories as they are sharing the gospel, because that is what they are all about doing. They're sharing the gospel. And as they've shared the gospel, they've encountered a bit of trouble. And I say a bit, but it's really been a lot. They've gone into cities, they've been beaten up, they've been put in prison, they've been run out of town. However, even in the midst of all of that, they continue to share the gospel and they continue to have a heart for sharing the gospel. And and through that, they've seen people come to faith. These harsh consequences for sharing their faith have not dissuaded them from doing so. And so for our message today, I want you to keep this in mind because this is obviously running in Paul's mind as he's about to share the gospel yet again. He knows what kind of consequence will happen if he shares the gospel. And yet even through that, he is eagerly anticipating and willing to share the gospel with those he meets And today we will look at this unique opportunity as he gets brought before a council of these religious men 
And I hope as, as we look at this, we can actually look at what Paul is doing. Because he, he, he has an approach to share the gospel. He does it in a very specific way, one which I think we all would be very wise to imitate. And so that's why I've titled today's message, Sharing Like Paul. Because Paul shares the gospel in a very specific way. And I think his approach to doing that is is one, I think, the lost in the world, the people that we encounter in our day-to-day life still need. They desperately need us to share the gospel well. And so if you would join me, let's pray and let's just invite God to speak uh, through this message and, and let's just ask for his Holy Spirit to have his way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. And, and God, I, I pray for all of us, God, that we would view our life, our opportunities as sharing the gospel, as participating with you in what you are doing in the world. God, I pray for all of us as, as we look at what Paul does. God, that you would just be highlighting things that maybe we need to look at and apply to our life. So, God, I pray that we would leave encouraged and challenged this morning. But ultimately, Lord God, I pray that we would all hear from you. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Paul, as I said in our passage, he ends up alone in Athens. And and this kind of happens because Paul and Silas, as they are journeying together with Timothy, they end up in Berea, as it says in Acts uh, 17, verse 13. Some Jews come and they stir up some trouble for Paul as he is sharing the gospel yet again. And so the new believers that are coming to faith in Berea, they end up going to Paul and kind of rescuing him and taking him away, making sure that he is safe. And they end up bringing him to Athens. And so Paul gets brought to Athens by these new believers, and they say, we're going to go get, we're going to go get Silas and Timothy, and we'll get them to join you. So just stay here in Athens while it's safe. Just stay here and wait for them to join you. And so Paul does this. Paul remains in Athens, and as he's in Athens, he begins to kind of explore the city as a new person would. And so he's looking around and, and exploring it, and he's kind of taking in the sights and the sounds, as it were. And, and as he does this, he gets an impression of the people of Athens. He finds out a very important detail about the Athenians, and he finds that the Athenians are very, quote-unquote, religious. They have idols and, and altars surrounding the city. There, there's almost an altar for every possibly imaginable god. They even have one dedicated to an unknown god. And this idol would probably look something like this. And so Paul encounters this and he reads the description. And and again, it's kind of made out to to an unknown god. And I think the people who have erected this altar have the mindset of, well, there's so many gods and, and, and we don't want to offend a god. And so let's put this here and that will maybe appease whatever god it is. But really, it's not necessarily to worship the God. They're doing this for their own benefit. They have all these altars because they, their relationship with gods is that they can get something from them. And so they make these gods in images, and they try to get stuff from them. They put in even an unknown god altar as a fail-safe. They put it in place. And Paul, seeing this and, and, and much more around him, he is deeply troubled. He sees the people's hunger for spirituality or for a spiritual life. 
But through that, he really just sees how deeply troubled and lost they are amidst their pursuit of spirituality. And we'll come back to that more a little bit later. But right here in the opening section of our passage, as Paul is exploring the city and kind of taking in the sights and the sounds, we see our very first point. And this is the point I want to make right off the start. Paul spends time in the city. He begins to get the temperature of the people. He takes time to get to know the people that he's going to be ministering to, that he's going to be sharing the gospel with. And as he gets to know them, Paul gets this burden laid on his heart for the people of Athens. He begins to feel for them and begins to, begins to like want and desire for them to come to know Jesus. And this happens as he sees the brokenness and the deception of their pursuit for truth and spirituality that these people of Athens are living in, day in, day out. And I think this is very crucial. This is the first thing when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. If we aren't feeling that burden for them, the weight of knowing just how desperately they need Jesus— how desperately we need Jesus, man, we're, we're missing just how powerful the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Because before we knew Christ, our life was destined for hell. And that isn't a popular thing to talk about, to talk about hell and say that that is everyone's destination without Jesus. It isn't an easy subject to broach with people. Even talking about it from the pulpit, it, it, it can be difficult and, and it can be kind of heavy to say. But that is the truth. The truth is that without Jesus as our Savior and Lord, this is where our lives are headed. Much the same that our neighbors, our, our classmates, our co-workers, our friends, and even our family, if they don't know Jesus, their ultimate destination will be hell. And, and I want to pause here for a second because I, I don't want to say this like flippantly, just offhandedly, because the reality is we all know people who fit in that category. We know people that we deeply love that don't know Jesus. And it would be crass just to kind of say this and brush it off and just move on to the next fact without acknowledging the fact that we love these people. We care about these people. We are deeply burdened for these individuals in our life that don't know Jesus. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I honestly, in my mind and in my heart, I I sometimes forget about that weight, that burden of trying to introduce Jesus to them, and I can just kind of do life with them and not talk about Jesus and not really be praying for them and interceding on their behalf. But man, if if we're not carrying a burden for these individuals in our life, if we're not actively praying and asking for God to do the work that only he can do in their life, are we actually carrying a burden for them? Are we actually caring for them? Are we interceding on their behalf like we should be doing? As Paul gets to know the Athenians, Paul begins to carry this burden for them. In verse 16, it says, He, Paul, was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere. He is deeply moved for the people of Athens. 
And so our first point in sharing the gospel like Paul is this. As you interact with people in your life, are you allowing God to place a burden in your heart for them? Are you allowing God to place a burden in your heart for these people? And, and, and hear me on this because I want to explain what burdens are. Because I think we can get it twisted. We can get it mixed up thinking it's our job to convince or argue people towards Jesus. These burdens for others can be a really heavy weight to carry. But we have to remember that these burdens are actually not meant for us to carry. And allow for it to weigh us down. Rather, a burden for someone, someone that we want to see come to know Jesus, that burden is not something we actually carry, but rather something that we lay down before God's throne. We place them before God and we intercede and pray on their behalf, hoping and wishing and believing that God isn't done with them yet. It's not on us to convince and argue people to Jesus. It's on us to lift them before God and pray for them and trust that God, who says in his word that he writes and finishes the story of everyone's life, will not be done with them just yet. A burden, this desire to see others know Jesus Christ is an amazing thing. It's an amazing gift from God that we can develop a burden for people around us. We should all be praying, hoping, and believing that the loved ones that surround us would come to know Jesus. But it doesn't stop at just praying for them. Praying is a start. We move from there. As we interact with the world around us, we should be noticing the difference in where they are placing their hope where they are placing their future versus where we as Christians are. Our hope and our future is in Jesus Christ, nothing else. And as we interact with people, as Paul interacts with the Athenians, he begins to see where their hope and their future is placed. Are you spending time with people, getting to know them enough so that you can find out where their hope and future is placed in? I think the people of Athens were incredibly similar to the people of today's day. The people of Athens desired to be whole, and and that's a good thing. That wholeness is a good thing. But they were trying to meet that need for wholeness in all the wrong ways. They were meeting it by filling their life with false gods, looking at these false gods and saying, you can satisfy my needs. Fill me up in this way. Well, you need a God for rain in a given season. There's an altar for that. You need a God that's going to bring you love or peace. There's a God for that that you can pray and ask and petition that they would do that for you. And you can replace that with every single thing. They were looking at these gods and saying, you're the God of this. Fill me in that way. And so let me make a petition, a sacrifice, an offering to you so that you can do this for me. In the same respect, people of today's world, the people that we interact with, and and maybe even we would find ourselves here at some points in time, are getting our needs met by the wrong person, by the wrong things. We look to idols around us, and we look for them to fill us up in every possible way. 
We look at our money and say that is going to be our future, our hope for tomorrow. We look at our friends and try to get them to fill us up or maybe another loved one in our life or a love interest. Maybe it's just distracting ourselves so that we're not looking at what our actual needs are. So we watch just yet again another episode on Netflix. Or we scroll and do a whole session of scrolling on our phones just for another hour. Paul sees the people of Athens' desire to be satisfied. And he will present the one true God who can satisfy the soul. That can actually meet the need that they have. And in the same way, as we look at the world around us, as we are developing a burden for them to come to know Jesus, are we able to identify the needs and the desires that our neighbors have? We should be ready, willing, and able to give a reason for the hope that lies within us, the one true God that can actually meet our needs and satisfy every soul of every woman and man in the world. Let's go back to our passage. Go ahead and turn, uh, if you're not there already, to Acts 17. We're going to read verses 16 to 20, and we'll break it down just a little bit more. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews, the the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seemed to be preaching, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city and said, come, tell us about this new teaching. You are saying some rather strange things and we want to know what it's all about. So Paul, not only seeing the idols and, and, and seeing the needs that they have and developing this burden, he actually then moves, he takes that burden and begins to talk and interact with them. And he begins to share about Jesus. And he's talking with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and interacting with them. And as he does so, other people are overhearing and they see that he's talking about this. And they're like, well, we talk about this all the time. And we'll get to that in a second. But this place in Athens, they're always talking about philosophical things and talking about gods and all this stuff. And so they hear him and they say, okay, you're talking about this new thing. How about you do it in front of people that actually can speak at the same level as you, if not better, and we'll see what you really have to say, what, what weight the words you are saying actually will carry. So Paul develops the burden And his immediate response is to go and share Jesus. As God lays burdens for people on our hearts, our response must be to pray, first of all. But it also means that we need to follow up practically by speaking with them. And talking to them about Jesus. Sharing the gospel with them. Just praying. Again, that's a great start. And that needs to be our start. But we have to move beyond that to actually sharing the gospel with them. I remember in my teen years, I, my family, uh, my brother, my oldest brother, he ended up getting married uh, to a Japanese lady, and, and the wedding ended up happening, the ceremony ended up happening in Japan, and so uh, we went to Japan as a whole family. It was an incredible trip, and I really loved it, and we ended up visiting as we were there, doing some touristy kind of things, and so we visited these shrines, these temples of the Shinto religion. 
And it wasn't that we were like actually going there to, to worship or anything, but it was just kind of taking in the sights, seeing what these people believed. And so our tour guide brought us here. And, and, and before I get there, I want to show you just to kind of help place your mind. I was a moody teenager at the time. Uh, so this is my beautiful picture of me with all my teenage angst <laughs> with my, with my sister-in-law. I know I'm a lot skinnier there. Um, but like, it was just one of those like moods that I was in. And so as we were like going around, I'm exploring Japan with like this like attitude of, huh, this is really cool, but I'm not going to let people know that I'm really cool. This is really cool or interesting as a teenager does, right? <laughs> and so we were in Japan and, and we end up visiting these shrines. And, and one of the things that like really stood out to me on these shrines was that there was this bell. Let's, I'll show you a picture. So this, so you can kind of see it, see it right in the middle. It's this rope kind of hanging down. And right underneath it is that red little box. And that box is where you would go and put like your offering in. So any money or anything like that. And, and so what you would do, the tour guide kind of told us, was that you would put your offering in and then you would ring the bell. And that was to get the attention of whatever God you're uh, sacrificing to. And hopefully that God would look down and see you place the offering and would answer your prayer. And as we were talking with this tour guide, I remember, like, in that moment, just being struck with, like, oh, that is tough. Like, so you're, you're praying and asking for this God to answer a prayer, and you don't even know if they're listening? And I remember in that moment just turning to the tour guide, who spoke, like, incredibly well English. It was a friend of the family. And, and I remember just having this interaction with him and talking to him about the difference between the gods of the Shinto faith and the god of the Christian religion. The one true god that hears us when we pray. That answers immediately, even if it isn't the answer we are looking for. He knows better than us, and his ways are beyond our ways. And so he answers prayers perfectly for each of us. And I remember having that conversation, and, and he was listening to me and, and being very uh, kind as me as a teenager was rambling through all my, uh, what I thought about this, and, and I'm sure I said some really not sensitive things to him, but he was very kind and patient and listened to me, and I just remember walking away and just being blown away by the fact that we have a God who listens to us, that hears us. And so as Paul is talking and burdened for the people of Athens, I I can't help but think that he's thinking the same thing. You all go to these different gods and, and you hope that they will fill your needs. But man, we have a God who doesn't just fill our need. He actually designed us for him, not us designing gods that will fill us. And so Paul goes before the council, and, and the writer of Acts, Luke, actually has this to say in verse 21. You can read it in your Bible. He kind of gives us a footnote to help us understand it. It says, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. And I, I love this footnote that Luke includes, because it's super important knowing that what Paul is going into He's going to share the gospel, but he's going to have to combat the idea that Christianity is not just another new trend, not just another new god to to add among the other idols and gods that they already have. Rather, Paul will present the idea that there is only one god and that he is not made by human hands or in the likeness of the idols that surround Athens. Rather, the one true God is the one who is the creator. He existed before the world was ever made, and we were made in his image. 
not he and ours like the rest of the idols. So let's go back to our text and let's read. Um, we're going to read a good section, Acts 17, 22 to 32. So Paul, standing before the council, will address them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of, one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. And he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And and as some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. As Paul shares the gospel, I I hope you caught the fact that he doesn't hit every single thing that maybe we would have wanted to when we share the gospel. I mean, he doesn't really get into Adam and Eve. He doesn't talk about first sin. He doesn't talk about the virgin birth or Jesus' sinless life and his death on the cross that paid for our sins. He really doesn't fixate on every single thing like maybe we would want to when we share the gospel. I remember sitting in a class at my church in my teen years, and I remember learning how to share the gospel, and and we had all these points that we had to hit. And so the the assignment at the end of the class was write out how you're going to share the gospel, word for word. And so I remember writing it all out, and at the end of it, kind of handing it to the teacher or pastor, I don't remember anymore, but they looked at it, and they're like, okay, this is good, yeah, like just maybe hit this a little bit more. So I kind of did some revisions, and I remember leaving that class feeling very like, okay, I know what I'm going to say the next next time I share the gospel. And I remember like probably the next day going to class and hanging out with some friends. And I remember going to one friend who I felt this burden for. And I remember just blasting him with every single thing, going detail by detail by detail. I'm sure I probably even pulled out the paper and like just kind of read it to him and just like made sure that I didn't miss a single thing. And I remember I just like bulldozed over everything. I remember he like would try to speak up and I'd be like, "Ah!" (laughs) and like just kept going, just bulldoze, bulldoze, bulldoze. And I remember like leaving that conversation at the very end with kind of the question, the one question I wanted him to ask, which is, would you like to receive Jesus Christ? And I remember him looking at me with like a look of horror and being like, no, thank you. I am not interested. And I, and I get it. Like, I just completely bulldozed the conversation. I, I, I just blasted him with everything. 
You see, when Paul shares the gospel, he's doing two amazing things as he does so. He shares the gospel, but as he's sharing the gospel, he's actually giving room for a conversation. He's actually talking with them. They ask him a question, what is it that you believe? And then he dialogues, and he doesn't blast them with every single thing. I mean, Paul was a devout Jew. He had all the details. He could have took the entire rest of the New Testament sharing the gospel with them. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't blare the gospel at them. He actually has a conversation with them and talks with them. And after he's done, he gives them an opportunity to speak. And we hear that some people want to hear more and other people don't. And we'll get back to that in a second. But I think so often when we share the gospel with people, we can jump to the conclusion that they are going to argue with us. That we have to convince them that they need to believe this. And so we automatically jump to like defending and, and, and getting into kind of an argument with them even before the conversation has really started. And, and for some of us, we might say, well, that's apologetics. We need to defend the faith. We need to give reasonable reasons and proofs for Jesus. And, and hear me on this. Apologetics is important and biblical. I mean, see 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But apologetics is not an end in itself. We don't debate for the sake of debating. We provide answers and reasonable proofs for our faith in order to sway the minds and hearts of individuals. But when this biblical work verges into a corrosive argument, we have started fighting the wrong battle. You see, when we share Jesus, we need to share him with love. We talk with people, not down to them. We give reason for the hope that lies within, but we do so, as Peter says in Peter 3, verse 15, with gentleness and with respect. And so the second piece of sharing the gospel is that Paul also contextualizes it to his hearers. These people, they live in a world full of idols, and he speaks directly to that, countering it and saying, this is what you believe, but let me tell you what I believe. You place your hope in this. Well, let me tell you what I place my hope in. Paul knows his audience and speaks to them. When we share the gospel, are we actually contextualizing it? Or are we like me with my friend, just running through a list of things, trying to say just enough truth that maybe something will stick? Or are we actually willing to talk with them and share our faith, share what we believe, and dialogue with them, have a conversation with them? Not try to win an argument, but just talk with them. So like Paul, when we share the gospel, we share the gospel by having a discussion with our friends, with our neighbors. And we do so in the context of doing life with them, learning about what they're placing their life hope and future into, and, sp- and speaking directly into their life's context. When we share the gospel, we have to contextualize it, speak into the world that we are actually talking to, speak to our friends about what's going on in their life and how Jesus can make a difference in their life. And, and that is hard work, but that is beautiful theology when it's done properly. Finally, and I, and I want to end on, on, on this kind of note is we see Paul, what he does after he shares the gospel. And we see it in verses 32 to 34. Let's, let's read it together. 
When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. Here's Paul's response. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them, there was Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So what does Paul do after he shares the gospel? Well, he gives them the opportunity to respond. He gives them the opportunity for further discussion. He allows some people to reject it. He allows others to say that they want to talk about it later, and, and maybe they end up talking about it later. We don't, we don't read about that. And we also hear that there's this amazing response, and some people come to believe in Jesus right then and there. We need to remember that sharing the gospel with someone is not a sealed conversation. And, and by that, what I mean is it needs to be an open dialogue. It needs to be a conversation that continues, not just that moment, not just that day, but day after day after day. And hopefully that conversation is brought to light by the fact that we are living our life under Jesus' direction. And that difference of a different life that's bought, brought under Jesus is going to reflect and show what we truly believe. We need to not try to force someone to argue them towards Jesus. We need to allow for the Holy Spirit's work to actually work in their life, for the Holy Spirit to have a place to move. And that often happens when people are thinking and pondering I know I hear the Holy Spirit most often when there is stillness and quiet and allowing for God to speak into my life. We have to believe and trust that people coming to faith is a Holy Spirit work. It is on God to convince people ultimately. It is not our responsibility. God will work and he will do an amazing work in people. The Gospel Coalition has this amazing article titled, The Holy Spirit, Agent of Salvation. I I would highly recommend reading the whole article, but it kind of spells out just perfectly how the Trinity works when it comes to people coming to faith. And, And David Garner, the writer, says this specifically about the Holy Spirit. He says, faith is a sacred enablement, the action of giving someone the authority or means to do something. That's what enablement means. A holy spiritual and holy spiritual capacity enabling one to see Christ as he is, Savior and mediator, and to embrace him in his full saving adequacy. Since we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and therefore unable to believe, saving faith is the principal work of the Holy Spirit. Luther captures the point autobiographically, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me through the gospel, enlightened me by his gifts, and sanctified and preserved me in true faith. Individuals coming to faith, when we share the gospel, again, it's not our job to convince them. The Holy Spirit is going to have that role. It is his responsibility whether people will accept him or not. But we do have a role to play, and that role is of courier. We get to share the good news with people. We get to tell people about who Jesus is, why he made a difference in our life, and how he can make a difference in other people's lives. That's the beauty of Paul's approach to sharing the gospel. Some reject it. Verse 32, they laughed in contempt. But who knows? Maybe they came to faith later on. 
But it also says in verse 32 that some wanted to hear about it later, and we can imagine a further conversation taking place. And yet even some joined him, Paul, and became believers. So that's Paul's approach to sharing the gospel. It's a simple one, but one which I believe can have a radical difference when we live that out for people. So one more time, it's this. It's first, we come to have a burden to see others come to faith in Jesus. We have, to, we have to care about people enough. We have to understand where their life is destined to without him and the difference that Jesus makes, not just in the afterlife, but in the here and now. Second, we need to share the gospel with others. We don't, we don't blare it at them. We don't yell at them, try to argue them to Christ. We allow it to be a conversation and love them. And finally, we allow the Holy Spirit to have the final say We don't know what everyone's story is going to be. We don't know how people are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We just get the privilege and the opportunity to share Jesus with others, and we allow them the privilege and opportunity like we had to make that choice for ourselves, to choose Jesus or to not choose Jesus. As I said, for all of us, I'm sure for each and every single one of us, we have a burden for someone Maybe that burden is, is for our son or our daughter or maybe a close friend or a neighbor. But whoever that is, I would encourage you, don't just let it be a back burner thing, something that we sometimes think about and don't act on. We need to be praying and believing for these individuals and trusting that God is not finished with them yet. And so today I want to invite you to just close your eyes and worship team, I'll invite you up. And I just, I want to encourage you, just pray for that person. Maybe it's been a while since you've prayed for them. But man, we, we need to believe that God is not finished with them yet. That God is going to use us and maybe others as they walk alongside them to show them Jesus. So I encourage you in just a moment here just to pray for them. Lift them before God's throne Lord God, you, you brought Paul to Athens and you used him to speak into the people's lives there. And God, you did an amazing work and, and Lord, we don't know all the amazing things that you did when Paul spoke the gospel. But God, we saw that some people came to believe. That some people were interested and wanted to hear more later. And God, we also hear that some people rejected. Lord God, in the same way that you called Paul to share the gospel, you call us. Lord God, you commission us to be disciple makers. And that happens through sharing the gospel. That's how the church grew. And so Lord God, we all have people that we are burdened for. 
people that we know desperately need you, Jesus. And so, God, we lift them before your throne. Lord God, we trust that you are not finished with them yet. Lord God, that they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord God, we want to believe that. We want to claim that you're not finished with them. Lord God, that you will finish the good work that you started in them. Lord God, that that they would just know you, Father, and know the difference that you make in their life. So, Lord God, I pray for all of us, God, that we wouldn't just leave this burden here, but that we would continue to carry it with us. And, Lord God, as that burden comes up in our mind, that we would just lay it before your throne, interceding on their behalf, believing and trusting, Lord God, that you will make a way where there seems to be no way. Lord God, we lift up our friends. Lord God, we lift up our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates. Lord God, we lift up our family. You aren't finished with them yet. Lord God, we pray that you would give us the words to say, that we would say it in love, that we wouldn't take the burden of trying to convince them towards you, God, but we would just love them to you. Lord God, help us. Help us to love people well, to speak truth in love. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.